on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Big thanks to Johnny's and Afric. It's Tuesday the 20th of February and you're listening to Game On. Coming up today as the FAI and all three Gaelic associations announce landmark new plans, we'll hear from the key players and try and make some sense of what it means for players, families, fans and volunteers. There's also live football to preview with Mark Langdon on Champions League. Plus, we're live to the Etihad as Manchester City aim to make up lost ground in the Premier League title race. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552. We're on X at Game On 2 FM. Or you can WhatsApp us on 087 187 9200. Game On on 2 FM. Welcome along, Anthony Pine of RT Sport is with me in studio. Anthony, you had the pleasure of attending the Football Pathways press conference today and the unveiling of the FAI's plans for football in this country for the next 12 years. And that was all great and very exciting. And we're going to get to that in a while because a lot of positivity around what they're trying to do. But as expected, the event was a little bit overshadowed by the fact that there's still no Republic of Ireland men's manager. What was the mood in the room like? Well, I mean, firstly, I, I went back Sunday night, Marie, to watch Sunderland Till I Die because halfway through <laughs> the first season, Chris Coleman comes in as Sunderland manager. Um, and this last week has felt like a series that you're binge watching on Netflix because every day something new mm-hmm. happens. There's another twist in the tale in the saga I mean there was you know the, in terms of the plan I know we'll get into it a little later I think people were impressed it's it's, it's an impressive document there's an enormous amount of work mm-hmm. that's gone into it there's there's a lot of common sense in it obviously there's lots of caveats and there's lots of stumbling blocks potentially within it um, but there was a bit of housekeeping to do as well in terms of the managerial situation and and as expected, the FAI's director of football, Mark Canham, sort of batted questions away with regards to who, who it's going to be or where that is. Uh, you know, he's, the, the process is, on, is ongoing, he told us, but he did say the FAI are, are getting closer um, and would anticipate that there is somebody in place before the friendlies against Switzerland and Belgium, which take place towards the end of March. But we, we still don't know who it is and mm-hmm. it could be another little bit yet before we find out Marie yeah well getting closer could mean absolutely anything so um, it's difficult to know when that person is going to be announced do you think that there could be an interim put in place as things get closer and closer possibly or further and further away yeah I mean th- there is suggestions now that, that somebody like John O'Shea or the Ireland under 21 manager Jim Crawford could could do that to step into to the fold and uh, to buy them time I mean in, in fairness you know, the next meaningful, really meaningful competitive game for the Republic of Ireland men's team isn't until next September, you know, with the Nations League. I know, like, there's friendlies coming up and they probably want to have somebody there in terms of maybe boosting attendances and just generally having a bit of a, a vibe and excitement around the team. But also, you know, they probably don't want to press the big red button yet and, and are maybe, you know, confident that they can still get... The person that they want, you know, Mark Canham didn't say, or you wouldn't say if they had an ideal candidate or, or somebody that they're actively trying to pursue. We didn't go that far, but obviously, um, you know, the, the, it's it's been widely reported that Lee Carsey is the person that they want. Mm-hmm. So, um, if it's a case where they they need a little more time to to do that and make that happen, and and maybe increase the terms of the contract or wherever that might be, then I think people would say fair enough. But the problem is that we really don't know. This is just pure. We're, we're all speculating, so we, yeah. we don't we don't really know. Well, we thought it was Chris Coleman yesterday. We've moved on from that. If it definitely wasn't Lee Carsley, you would think that he'd just rule himself out and be done with it. But he hasn't done that. Well, yeah, I mean, there's been, but the science has been different from, from all candidates, bar the people who are definitely out of the running. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Gus Poyet was, was vocal about, you know, he kind of batted his eyelashes at, at Ireland at one stage. Uh, Neil Lennon. <laughs> a couple of times. Yeah, a couple of times. <laughs> Neil Lennon the same, but, you know, um, they, they look like they're definitively out of the race now. So, um, at the same time, Lee Carsey is is a, a diligent professional guy, and he is the England under twenty one mm-hmm. head coach. He is in a job, so it might be that he just doesn't think it's appropriate for him to, for him to start commenting on on something that you know a role that he hasn't accepted or or anything like that. He could just be, you know, in his mind, it would be unprofessional to do that. He's focusing on preparing his team for they they have qualifiers coming up in March as well. Uh, so you know, maybe he's just 
focusing solely yeah. on that and ignoring all the outside noise, which is really only coming from this country, <laughs> yeah, you know, true. in fairness, as opposed to England. Yeah, we forget that we're not the centre of the universe. <laughs> uh, right, well, you mentioned Mark Canham. He's the FAI's director of football. It is his football pathways plan. He's the one who is getting closer to appointing a new senior men's manager. Our own Tony O'Donoghue at this press conference today sat down and had a very wide-ranging chat with Mark Canham. Mark, it's a very impressive document and it's, it's a document and a plan, I suppose, that you're hoping to implement over a 12-year period because you said we cannot continue what we are currently doing. Can you elaborate on that for me? Yeah, it's an exciting day for the association for Irish football to, to share the vision and the plan that everyone in Irish football has had the opportunity to contribute. It's a whole game plan for grassroots, national and international and it's designed to try and maximise our potential for Irish football and with big focus on participation, big focus on pathways for all people in the game and a big focus on performance because we want to have winning senior Irish club teams and also international teams. So that's, that's the broad ambition of what we're trying to achieve. We know that um, we want to work closely with people to make sure that becomes a reality. We've got a 12-year vision, but we want to deliver that in three-year actions. Mm. So we, we know that's going to require a lot of collaboration, a lot of working together with the game to help us achieve that. And we're looking forward to, to the, taking on that challenge. You talked about style of play and maybe kind of implementing a, a particular Irish ID. If you could elaborate on that for me, because if everyone plays the same, you're going to come up against an opposition that plays the same. Does that nullify each other? Yeah, no, I understand the question. I think what we've done through the, the plan is we looked at data, research and consultation. And when we've looked at you know, high successful, high performing nations, both at club level and international, they have a clear vision of what they're trying to do from grassroots, national, international. So we believe that the plan will help us achieve that. There's also a correlation with international teams that have a clear idea of how they want to do things, how they want to play and how they want to coach. So I think we're trying to learn from that. We're not trying to copy what other countries do, but we're trying to learn from that principle. So we believe having a clear idea of how we want to play, coach, and how to support players will give us the best opportunity to progress players through the pathway and ultimately for our senior team to play. In terms of if the you, if you were lucky enough to have a, a, a Messi, if there's an Irish Messi or, or indeed an Irish Evan Ferguson, do you not change the plan to suit the player? Yes, it's a good question. So. I was just going to say that the, it would be based on principles, so it wouldn't be a set of rules. So when the keeper gets the ball, they have to do this. When the midfielder gets the ball, they have to do this in this way, or a robotic formation they have to play. It would just be a set of principles. So when we lose the ball, these are the things we do. When we win the ball, these are the things we do. Broadly, when we've got the ball, this is how we like to play. This is the type of approach. So a broad set of principles that you would identify with any Irish team, whether they're wearing the green jersey or not, you'd be like, that looks a bit like an Irish football team, an Irish international team. Yeah, what's an Irish ID then? Because that's an interesting concept as well. It's identity, basically. Just like what, what, it is, what is it that we're trying to achieve as an Irish football nation? What do our international teams look like? And when, when you talk but Historically, about, Mark, I suppose under Jack Charlton, the, the, the phrase put him under pressure, that was pressing before it became yeah, yeah. A, a coaching term uh, under Stephen Kenny, trying to play through the thirds, I guess. Um, like, where are we in that? Yeah, I think we want to make sure we nurture the values of Irish teams gone past and you know, really hard-working, really determined, really assertive and aggressive, really hard to beat and I think that's a good kind of starting point to what we want to achieve. We know in modern day football that we need to play a certain style of football to be successful, more progressive. So in terms of what the previous head coach was delivering, we're not suggesting a huge departure from that. We just want to probably have a more adaptable, more pragmatic approach to, to games when we're playing against teams that, you know, have, have have a higher ranking than ours or a stronger nation at this point in time. Have you been clear to the c candidates for the, the new men's job about that, those sort of principles? Yeah, and, and as part of the criteria in terms of who we're looking for, that starts to identify the group of people that we wanna, we've wanted to talk to and we've been talking to about the head coach role in terms of people that have, have worked in that way and have worked in environments, either it be clubs or national associations, where they've worked within a framework as opposed to what was traditionally in football where they kind of brought in their own philosophy, their own staff and then left. We want to make sure that we have a, a long-term vision for how we play football. Traditionally managers come in and they do bring all their own staff though. It's, it's, a, it's a protection for themselves, it's someone who understands how they work. Yeah and we've been really clear with the candidates through the process that we want to have a collaborative approach to that. We want to make sure that as part of the support team in terms of the coaches but the wider support team that the association us as a part to play in that 
clearly there's opportunity for the new head coach to bring staff with them, but we want that to be a, a partnership. But has that principle uh, prevented some people from accepting the role? No. No. Absolutely not. No, there's been really open conversations with it, with all of the candidates that we spoke to, and everyone that we spoke to has been bought into that approach. And how soon are you going to fill the role? Because it feels like it's a long time. I think it's 89 days now since Stephen Kenny left his role. Yeah, we understand completely, and we understand the responsibility. We understand how important it is for Irish football, how important the senior men's team is for Irish football. So. We hope to conclude that as soon as possible, and I'm not going to put a specific timeline on it, but we hope to do that ASAP. In time for the next two fixtures? That would be our ambition. Against that would be our Belgium. ambition and hope. And time for a squad to be announced for that? That was, yeah, exactly. I understand all the challenges that we have, but we, we'd hope that would be the case. So will we have a new manager next week then? We'll, we'll, you'll, you'll hear when we know, and we'll announce it as soon as possible. Okay, can I ask you also about the calendar issue for, uh, for the new plan as such? Because that's always been at underage level, at, at junior, amateur level, and then at, at senior level, you know, League of Ireland moving to what we call summer football. Uh, it's different to other European leagues, well, particularly England, which where most of our players tend to go. One of the things we got from the consultation was the game wanted alignment in terms of we want to play football broadly at the same time and there's clearly inconsistency across underage football and adult football in that. So, okay, so take that feedback, work out how could we create greater alignment. For children's football, we want to create more football more often with more variety. We want people to play broadly within the same 12 months, uh, 365 days, but we've tried to take the debate away from summer and winter season football and just said, actually, how across 12 months and 365 days, how would you maximize the playing opportunities for children and give them the best development experience. And that's what we're trying to do. From an adult side, we want to develop an adult football pyramid for men's and women's, and that was clear feedback from the game. And for that to happen, we have to play our seasons for adult football at the same time for that to be possible, because it just physically wouldn't be possible to have a pyramid where there's promotion and relegation if leagues were playing at different times. So we know that that's new to people, and we have to take that out and consult. We're absolutely um, kind of committed to that concept. We just need to work through the detail with people now. Finally, a plan as ambitious as this is going to be very costly. Um, do you feel confident that with collaboration that you can reach these targets? Yeah, definitely. Um, we, we haven't got like a specific number that's put to the whole plan, but we believe that every individual action that we've identified within the plan will have its own kind of business case in terms of the finance it needs. So we're confident by supporting the money that we've already got in the association to evolve things we're already doing, seeking funding from FIFA and UEFA to support, and also then seeking funding from other sources and government will help us achieve. But now we've got a plan on a page, a vision, then we can take that and say, look, this is what we want to achieve, and will you support this? And that's, that's the key message today, that we've now got a plan for the whole game, grassroots, national, international, to maximise our potential for Irish football. So that is Mark Canham. He is the director of football at the FAI speaking to Tony O'Donoghue about his football pathways plan that he's been working on for over a year now. And as he says himself, it's a very clear plan. They have a vision. There's a huge amount in it. It's definitely worth checking out if you have um, an interest in Irish football and what the future is going to look like. Anthony Pine of RT Sport is with me in studio. Anthony, for you, what were the, the key takeaways from this document? Well, I think, I mean, look, uh, as, as Mark outlined to, to, to Tony there, like there's consistency, a consistent thread and, and, a, and a, a vision. Uh, everybody on the same page in terms of an aligned football calendar and a proper adult football pyramid, as you would see in England. Um, just some cohesion and people sort of singing off the, the same hymn sheet because anybody involved, Marie, in, in Irish football at any level, whether it's adult down to, to the children's junior game, um, will know how fractured it is. It really is like at, at every area and facet of, of it. It's 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 broken, and at times there's sort of um, almost competition within the game itself. Um, but nothing is going to come easy with this. I mean, it, I think like every year we talk about how big a problem it is uh, playing games through the winter because you know it's so wet here and the weather is so poor and we don't uh, have the facilities and, and we don't have the facilities so for something like it is a, it is a simple and obvious thing to say um, that we need to improve facilities of course we do um, 
but you know what is the cost of that and how straightforward is that going to be because when you say we need to improve the facilities I think what people are really saying is in this country anyway it's, we, we need more astro pitches and mm-hmm. um, that's the only way you can insulate yourself from having um, you know avoiding or going weeks on end without playing games I'd like a few indoor domes as well Anthony indoor domes it? big old indoor <laughs> any, anything to keep us keep us dry and, and keep the games on um, but I mean look this is just one thing like to, to sort of one sort of example of, of potential barriers or, or little issues that they, not little issues issues that they may come across that like there are about two and a half thousand astro pitches in Ireland right now now there is a European Union ban um is, is, is begun to come into effect there is an eight year grace period with this um, sorry a seven year grace period with this but there, there is a ban on the use of microplastic rubber the rubber crumb infills mm-hmm. that you see in astro pitches yeah. the so, black balls yeah the little the little black rubbery balls so uh, by September 2031 um, they will be banned so if we're looking you know we've got two and a half thousand pitches in Ireland right now astro pitches and, and any you know we're, there's not enough you know there isn't enough um we know that because we're seeing blanket games being called off uh, every weekend at, at this time of the year. But before you can even begin to think about building another 500, and they're very expensive to, to construct, um, now you have to think about, well, we need to look after the, the 2,500 that we currently have because, you know, by 2031, like, are they going to be... Are we not going to be able to use them? Like they will have to be related. I, I actually don't. I'm unclear yet on what they're going to do uh, as an alternative to those rubber mm-hmm. fills. I, I think there was um, a club in Norway tried to use cork, um, and it didn't work. It just, the rain just washed it away. Oh. So I, I think that's still, you know, they, they're still trying to figure out exactly how to get around it. But this is an environmental ruling. Like they, they are damaging the environment, and that's why this ban is going to come into effect. Um, now. It, the the alignment, you know, the calendar year, uh, playing games in the calendar year, I think to me that just makes total sense. I know there's people that will say things like, you know, kids will need to take their summer holidays. It's going to be impacting them in that regard. Perhaps there'll be a direct clash with Gaelic games. Um, and and the game, you know, you could because of that, um, you, you could lose players. Um, but in fairness, I think they, you kind of have to bite the bullet on this. You know, Mark Hannum has made the point. We can't just deny stick our head in the sand and uh, you know not acknowledge the fact that we are different to other countries and that we have Gaelic games here and it's such a huge part of our life here and instead of running away from it you know why not just look at things a little differently uh, it, what he, he was at pains to say that this isn't summer football it's a calendar mm-hmm. year so it would be four blocks of three months so let's say from sort of February, March uh, February to June the kids will play their standard league season. But in July, August, September, there'd be blitzes and football camps, mini leagues. And then in the winter months, uh, there'd be a, a bigger focus on futsal. So it's not like there's a six-month season and then we all stop, or there's a you know an eight-month season and then we all stop and we come back in September. It's There's always football, but just different types of football. Um, and you know, as I said, there is a lot of common sense in the document. I think it's it's worth reading for anybody who is invested, and, and that's a, a hell of a lot of people here at every level of the game. Um, the, you know, we uh, the the League of Ireland, um, our two divisions in the League of Ireland are disconnected from the amateur game now, and that's something that they would look to address. There was talk of introducing a, a third division in the men's League of Ireland and a second yeah. here in the women's, um, but also to have some sort of connection between the adult amateur game and the League of Ireland, as there is in England. There's a club in England, Marie, called Dorking Wanderers, who've had 12 promotions in the last 23 seasons. So they've gone from playing Sunday League, you know, non-league Sunday football, to now they're in the National League, which is just one below League Two. Now, that's not the norm. It's it's a, it's a an amazing story, and it's you know, it's kind of like Wimbledon years ago where they just rocked it up. So, you know, it's fairy tale stuff. But that is literally impossible in Ireland it's not linear you can't do that you know within each province it's not you know there's no connection even between the provinces um, towards the top level of football in our country so I think Mark Canham and when you consider his background as well where he's come from I mean he implemented the FA's elite player performance plan in the Premier League and and the, the purpose of that was to basically help produce better homegrown players and that was a really big success like you know, and considering that you, you can see that in 
the plan that he's pr produced today and presented today and even in the language you know talking about the Irish ID and the green mm. line um, threads of consistency he talked about um, our national teams having a, a, a very similar approaches and styles of play from the senior level right down to under 15s um, and you know implementing a strong football identity in Ireland and a lot of this might sound a bit wishy-washy and buzzwords and I do understand people who will be cynical about that I, I, I get it but I, I would say uh, personally I, I, I think the document is well put together I think there's loads of common sense in it but you know the crux of all this and where all this leads to inevitably in terms of facilities and improving all these structures is, is money and investment and, and that is that will remain the, the big sticking point the big question until they get to a point where they can go well now we have been you know we, we do have this coming from mm -hmm. the government and this is what we can do with it but at least there's a plan at least there's a vision and a, and a plan outlined. and they can go to government and say look we're getting X off FIFA we're getting X off UEFA we have this much ourselves if we want to execute our plan and have a philosophy and start qualifying for major tournaments because that's where you get money but you need footballers and if you want to make footballers this is a good place to start. Yeah, and, and that, that's a point that Mark Hanna made today as well. That's exactly it. At least they now have something to hold up and say, well, this is what we want and this is where we're going. And if you did give us X amount in funding, then this is exactly where it would go. And um, uh, we, we'll see if if that happens in the next, you know, because they, they, there are certain things they want to achieve. This is a 12-year plan. There are certain things they want to achieve in the next three years. So you'd hope that, you know, the wheels get in motion pretty quickly pretty quickly um, with regard to some of the things that were in this plan. One of the things that I really liked about it was focus on education and trying to integrate football into all levels of education because it's not that present. It's You don't have as much of a football, I guess, identity in schools that maybe you would in other sports and the competitions aren't as strong. So um, Mark Hannum feels like it's not maximising its opportunity with education. They're going to have an education development strategy that will support players from primary to third level. Um, they're going to have scholarships. They're going to get more teachers um, across the the already existing teachers across football and what they can do um, and they're going to try and help develop high potential players so essentially keeping players at home because that's where they're probably going to come from in the future you'd imagine as well Anthony Well look I mean he, again he, he outlined the, the you know post-Brexit how different the landscape is now post-Brexit I think um, he referenced in 2019 85% of our under-17s Ireland men's team were playing their football outside of Ireland so primarily in England which was the traditional pathway as we all know um, players went to England when they were sort of 15, 16 uh, if they had genuine ambitions or, or hopes or chances of, of making their way in the professional game in 2022 80% of the under-17s Ireland squad is, is now based here in Ireland because they can't go until mm -hmm. they turn 18 so that in itself is an enormous change and shift and would again sort of heighten the importance of improving every level of the game here. We, we focus on pitches and facilities and things like that. But of course, like as you say, like being able to educate players and sort of make, give them a rounded experience, like make football a part of their life along with things like education mm -hmm. uh, and give them every chance for when they do make that leap, if whatever, whenever it comes, you know, it's obviously a little later now, but like they, they have as strong a chance as possible to, to go on and kick on and, and reach that higher level. Um, but we've a way to go. I mean, these these, these plans, like it, it is very dependent on the infrastructure and the basic structures that we have here being massively improved. And, you know, look, you have to just come back to investment. You know, that that's what it's going to take. But, you know, it is, We'll, we'll see what happens with this and, and you know it's not just soccer that's looking for investment the GAA integration yeah. plan today is, I mean mm -hmm. everybody's going to have the, the hand out and, and we had John Rudd of Swim Ireland on last night and he was making the case for more pools and more high performance centres as well so you're right every single sport but did he say anything about where they're at following on from last year's facility investment strategy they were looking for 863 million to fund um, 2,500 infrastructure projects in the next 15 years No um, I mean it's not that they're obviously they're not mutually exclusive but the, the focus today was on this plan and the presentation of this plan so um, I, I think today 
news broke today that um, Casement Park, there there be fifty million a fifty million euro um, government investment going into that. That that's part of the shared island fund, um, in into the redevelopment of of Casement Park. I think the FAI. Um, would be hoping to get investment, uh, some some investment from that fund at some point in terms of um, improving their own facilities and, and grounds around the League of Ireland. Um, that wasn't really, there wasn't much in-depth talk about that today, but we've just started a new League of Ireland season where last week every ground is, is sold out pretty much. Um, the, the interest in the league is growing exponentially um, and, and it's inevitably it's, it, you can't ignore it now you know because when you see fans or, or supporters who can't get a ticket to Daly Mount Park every, you know th- that nudges it into the conversation mm-hmm. every time there's a big game you know a big derby between Shamrock Rovers and Bohemians and there's people screaming for tickets and all this will, will nudge that into the narrative and nudge it into the conversation and you hope maybe put more pressure on government to, to recognise that there is something happening here and um, there's potential to make this a strong industry, a football industry. Yeah, well, look, it's a starting point anyway, Anthony, and it does seem like manager issues aside that it was received with a lot of positivity and people have lots to look forward to if at least some of this can come to pass just need the funds now um, Anthony stay with us we're going to be talking about uh, European football in a little while but we will after the break be joined by Sean McGoldrick who will reflect on um, Mary McAleese's interview with Marty Morrissey she was speaking at the integration press conference a little bit earlier Game On on 2FM Welcome back. We are going to turn our attention to Gaelic Games now. And a little bit earlier today, there was a press conference with the Camogie Association, the GA, and the Ladies Gaelic Football Association. And it was revealed that a proposed target of 2027 was announced for full integration for the three associations. We're going to be joined by Sean McGoldrick, a sports journalist with Sunday World, in just a few minutes to go through what was outlined today. But first, let's hear from Mary McAleese. She is chairing this integration process and she spoke to Marty Morrissey. What is the essential message that you want to, to get out there to the public about this integration? Because it's taken 18 months to put it together. It's going to take another, what, three or four years to, to see it to completion. So what's the essential thing? The essential message is that we know from the membership of the GAA and we know from the public, we know from the government and the sponsors, that what people want is one association for Gaelic Games for all Gaelic games. Currently, we have three associations. And what we have planned for the last, and worked on for the last 18 months, is a pathway to bringing those three organizations into one. And when it is in one, it will be a formidable organization, formidable voluntary organization of amateur sports right across the island of Ireland, right across the world, wherever Gaelic games are played. Everybody will be a member of one association, and that one association will have a new energy, if you like, a new, a completely new dynamic as women's sports become fully integrated into the 140-year-old history of the GAA. They will bring, with the Ladies Gaelic Football Association, 50 years of experience, Camogie Association, 120 years of experience. We put that all together. We're going to have over 300 years of experience. Um, behind what is the world's most successful sporting codes in amateur games. And I think we are, I mean, the Gaelic games are well on the map globally. We are really going to set a modern new agenda where there's no differentiation across gender, but all working together. It's the old, it's the old Irish adage, isn't it? That you actually don't know your full strength until you work together. And I think we're going to see a new era. So describe what you think the GAA, the new GAA, will look like in 2027. In 2027, beginning at club level, we will have um, a, a huge number. Well, first of all, 2027, everybody, no matter what code they play, will be a member of the GAA. That's it. They will be a member of the GAA. Uh, that we'll, ha- we'll have, hopefully, um, a preponderance of one clubs. We would like to think that we would have all one clubs by then, but more importantly, whatever clubs there are, they'll all be GAA clubs. And um, so right the way up through the organisation, at county board level, at provincial level, all 
fully integrated, uh, fully balanced, fully cognizant of gender, fully cognizant of their responsibility for the development of all the codes to the extent that they can locally. Understanding, of course, there may very well be situations where it may not be possible. We may be looking at, a, at an area that has a history, for example, of only, you know, only one code. Mm. And they're saying, well, we mightn't be able to do it. We're saying, that's fine, yeah. but you'll, you'll be a member of the one association. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. Membership of one association, wherever they are in the world, wherever they are in Ireland, everybody, boys, girls, men, women, doesn't matter, camogie, hurling, football, ladies' gilly football, one association all working together. Does that mean, though, that the camogie association and the ladies' gilly football, that we know it now, A, won't be, won't be in existence, but two, will they lose their, their independence or their power within the global GA? Let me take the, the question backways. Will they lose their power? I think the opposite is about to happen. I believe they have earned the right to an increase in power, a formidable increase in power that will come from working within one association, where they will have an enormous profile. Every member of staff of the Ladies Gaelic Football Association, the Camogie Association, they will move into the GAA now. They will have a formidable profile in that organisation. And we will work to make sure over the, the next two or three years as we bring in all the work from the working groups that in every single way their experience, expertise and their vision for the future of their games will be in the hands of the people who understand those games and have a passion for those games. So that I'm not worried about. In fact, I think I think anybody who thinks that, that the ladies' games are going to be overwhelmed have another thing coming. I think the GAA is about to have, you know, a really a massive injection of new energy, new ideas. Um, it's going to be formidable. And I think it's a credit to those who have worked in the LGFA and the Camogie Association that they are now in a position to really help the GAA family of games to grow quite formidably with their energy and their input, and the GAA, in turn, to offer its enormous, um, enormous basket of facilities and assistance and structure, this massive volunteer organization now, put it the at the service of all Gaelic games. I think it'll be formidable. But to answer your question about Ladies Gaelic, about the organizations, those two organizations, yes, um, over time, those two organizations will be subsumed into the GAA. But don't, don't forget, what's being also subsumed are, is responsibility for Ladies Gaelic Football and for Camogie. So the games continue, they will develop with a whole new energy and importantly, with a whole massive organization behind them. I think it's a win-win for everybody. With the integration of Camogie and Ladies Football into uh, the GAA, is there a danger of job losses or, in fact, will it be the opposite oh, no. job, job numbers will increase? We've said this absolutely from the beginning. Well, first of all, of course, the Gilly Games is essentially an organisation, an amateur organisation that is populated by volunteers. And if we were to put, if we were to actually put money on what the volunteers bring to the GAA, you are talking billions. Oh. Extraordinary. But to talk about the people who are the paid staff of whether it's the GAA or Ladies Gaelic Football or Camogie Association, we've said from the beginning, absolutely all those jobs are clearly protected. The people in the Ladies Gaelic Football Association, the people who are currently working in the, in the, for the Camogie Association, they will segue into and become staff members of the GAA. They will retain their seniority, they will retain their contract, they will retain their, all, the, uh, all the benefits that they currently have. They will retain all of that. Nothing will be lost and a lot will be gained because don't forget, they're going into a bigger organisation now where the opportunities for growth, for personal development, for um, promotions will be huge. So no is the answer. There will be no loss of jobs. Will there be greater opportunity for job growth? I would have thought so. There will certainly be huge opportunities for an increase of volunteering at the level of the club, county board and all of those levels. But I also think that increasingly we are looking at an increased population. Marty, our population is growing exponentially. Our, we have a youthful population that every other country in Europe looks at us with envy. We have such a wonderful cohort of young people and we want to interest them in sport.
support and we want their interest not just to be whetted but we want it to be met. We want on their doorstep to have great clubs, great organisations. What better to offer them than a, an integrated GAA that can offer them all right across the five codes, whether it's, you know, whether it's handball, you know, whether it's rounders, well, which we sometimes forget about, but it's important to remember because they're part of the GAA family, and we have talked a lot about them also as part of the GAA family. And we have now Ladies Gaelic Football and the Camogie Association. That'll be available to them in one sporting organisation, and they will all be members, the brothers, the sisters, the aunties, the uncles, no matter what they're playing, no matter what volunteer role they're involved in, they'll all be members of the GAA. So you envisage uh, one club, one county board? Correct. Absolutely. One county board. We know it's not going to be easy, you know, but it has to be done. And so that's why we say we have a three-year window and we expect people just to get on with it. And we, we expect them to sit down. You know, the principle of subsidiarity is we respect the fact they know their situation best, but they also know what the vision is for the future. Now, we're asking them to take their situation, analyse it, ally it to the vision for the future and map their way to becoming a one club or a one county board and that's the expectation. I know already from attending clubs and indeed what I do that women play such a huge role in the GA but I think this possibly opens the possibility or a more realistic possibility of having president of the GA a woman. And why not? And absolutely. Now, it could happen today. Oh, as you say, to come in. It could happen at any Congress. It could happen. But with this, I think the chances of it happening are definitely increased, aren't they? Yeah. Because with, now we have the two female codes, the two codes for women. Um, they will be fully integrated into the GAA. They will have huge power and presence, and they will have huge impact, um, not just at their own conventions, but at Congress, and have the opportunity to put their members forward for election as president of the GAA. Bring it on. Well, well done to you and your committee for putting all this together, because this, I know, was a major, major project of yours. So well done. It's a labor of pure love pure passion and it's about the future of our country not just the future of Gaelic Games it's the future of our country it's a stamp of modernity on on the pride and joy that is Gaelic Games so that was Marty Morrissey speaking to Mary McAleese at that press conference on integration now I'm delighted to say that Sean McGoldrick sports journalist for the Sunday World joins me on the line Sean you were there today um, it all seems very positive albeit the time frame seems very short do you think that they're going to be able to fulfill this well it's uh, they have set themselves a monumental task to, to do it in three years so we'll have to wait and see uh, I went along today because I, I assumed that, that we'd be given a detailed document with how this was going to be achieved but as it happened it was just a press release basically with the comments from the three presidents so uh, as I said, the devil is going to be in the detail and like none of the detail really has been worked out yet. Um, I think there are a number of subcommittees uh, working on issues like facilities, finance, fixtures, human resources, membership and player welfare, but they have only been in train since November, so I assume it'll, they will report at some stage in the next year or so, but there is a huge amount of work to be done and realistically I would be very surprised if it's all done in time for 2027 but I, I mean I can see why they set a deadline because mm-hmm. it's a bit like the, the Northern Ireland talks long ago with uh, the Good Friday Agreement if you don't set a deadline this thing could drag on for years so it's probably best to set a deadline and see um, you know, how, how it works out but uh, there's a lot of work ahead. Yeah, try and get as close to it as possible, perhaps. So, as someone, Sean, who's been around the GA for quite a long time now, what do you see as the biggest stumbling blocks to hitting this deadline? Well, I think, there, as I mentioned today, the, the three F fixtures, facilities and finance, uh, I think they are the three stumbling blocks, and I think finance is going to be the big one. Um because I asked the question today um, at the press conference, you know, who is basically going to pay for this? And what I meant by that was who is going to pay? I mean, obviously the uh, GA, the Camogie players and the female GA players 
well have to get parity of esteem with their male counterparts. I mean, I mean, the, otherwise the whole thing is a sham. So they will have to get, and that's in, in terms of the expenses, to say the travelling expenses they're paid, the kind of uh, meal allowances, the, the gear, everything like that. Just take that as a practical example. Now, who the, the question I asked was who's going to pay for that? Now, they said they hadn't gone into the detail, which is fair enough. But, I mean, county boards will not be, I mean, a fair few county boards, I would say up to a dozen, could not afford the extra expenses that that would entail. I mean, most of them are just hanging on at the moment. Uh, so if you, you know, put, put another couple of hundred thousand on top of their expenditure, I don't think that's possible. And I'm not sure what kind of model. I think they will probably have to opt for some sort of a central model where maybe one solution would be that each county will have to give a percentage of their sponsorship fund, for example, to a central fund, and Crow Park or the new GAA organisation will have to be in charge of dispensing uh, expenses. Now, that's just one area. Uh, there's obviously facilities. I mean, will and I mean again, we're talking about parity of steam. Will the Camogie teams uh, and the ladies GAA teams get access to the centre of excellence? That are that's a lot of counties have, for example, and then there's the you know the the general the fixtures clashes that go on, particularly between Camogie and and women's GA at the moment. I mean the Dublin uh, Ballyboden St Endes spoke out about this before Christmas, so there's a lot, and in particular they did acknowledge that with the split season there's so much fixtures to be fitted in that some clashes are inevitable. Now on the other hand, there's lots of possibilities like with more. Uh, GA matches, you know, the the male and female being twin, the double bills and all that. But those are, I think, are the three. Those are the three big areas. I think then, as Marty said in the interview there to, to the Mary McAleese, it is a visit that is going to be one county board to cater for all, you know, the three sports and the <laughs> county board GA officials don't like, uh, you know, they don't tend to vote for Turkey, so or vote for Christmas. Um, so, so they won't want to get rid of their own job. So I can see issues coming up there. So it will require, you know, really strong leadership from the top. Now, uh, Mary McAleese is obviously driving this. And I mean, she is respected by everybody. So that's a huge advantage. But a lot will depend, I think, on the new GA president who um, uh, is being installed on Friday night, what you are at Burns, you know, what priority he gives to this project uh you know there is a huge he has a huge there's a lot of other things uh that that needs addressing in the ga you know will they always get priority or will he give this specific project priority so there's uh there'll be a lot of interest in this boardroom discussions over the next uh three two or three years yeah i'd say there'll be a lot of votes as well uh, for all the new <laughs> yeah positions. actually funny enough that was one of the questions i asked uh just as a, as an off an off thing uh, because, you know, I've been going to GA Congress for a long time, so there's, there tends to be some votes are by majority, some are weighted, and some are, two, or it used to be two-thirds. So I just asked, you know, when this comes, I mean, they did say that it will eventually be voted on by the members. You know, I asked, well, would a simple majority suffice? So they said they hadn't gone into that detail uh, yet. So as I say, it was very short on specific details, Whereas it is, it is a, I mean, it is everybody. I think most people support the concept, but it's when you get down to the nitty gritty that the problems could arise. And what about uh, the head of this association? Do we know who that's going to be? Yeah, yes, the, the, the GA president. Well, it, it, we have to, we have to sort of uh, look forward to three years' time. The GA then they're not going to change the name of the organisation because that would legally that would be too complicated. Because basically the GA hold all these, I think they hold the title deeds of you know hundreds, mm. probably thousands, of GA grants. So legally, if they if the G, if the name of the GA was changed. Uh, Mary McAleese said they would be making a lot of money for lawyers so I assume that's one of the reasons um, that the name has been retained but shall we call it the new GA there's going to be one president um, so um, 
the it's envisaged that there'll be kind of one convention for a year, but each organisation, or certainly the Camogie and Ladies Association, would still have uh, what they call the convention. So to, to pass the nitty-gritty rule changes on that, and then there'll be an overarching uh, annual Congress. But that in itself is interesting because the next GA president uh, of what we call the old GA is due to be elected in, um, in fact, two years' time because they're elected a year ahead um, of taking office. So that would be in 2026. So whoever the new president would be of the GA would be sort of in line to take over um, as the president of the new organisation if the amalgamation goes to timetable and happens in 2027. Now, personally, I'd be amazed if it happens that soon. But whoever the new, whoever the president of the GA is, will be the president of the, the new, the new GA, shall we say? Right, it's going to be a busy few years for everybody involved in Gaelic Games if this timeline uh, is followed. But we'll be following it anyway. Uh, Sean McGoldrick, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you taking the time and bringing us up to speed on all of that. Uh, Time for a break now. Stay with us. We have to get to our Champions League chat coming up after these. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. Man City are taking on Brentford this evening as they try to make up some ground in the Premier League. And Peter Smith is at the Etihad. Peter. Well, having drawn points at home to Chelsea last weekend, City cannot go top by winning tonight. But they can, though, move within a point of leaders, Liverpool. Erling Haaland suffered a frustrating 90 minutes against Chelsea, having passed up nine separate opportunities. He's being tipped, though, by Pep Guardiola to score tonight. And Brentford are the only Premier League team that he's failed to notch against. The Londoners did win here last season, but their current form has seen them lose 10 out of their last 13 games. As regards selections, the City boss Pep Guardiola makes three changes to the side from weekend, which sees Stone, Silva and Bob all return, with Doku, De Bruyne and Ake being benched. Three changes also for the Brentford manager Thomas Frank, with Wisser, Zanka and Ogyakata returning, and Jensen Collins and Morpé being named as substitutes. At the Etihad Stadium, it's Manchester City against Brentford. Thanks, Peter. Brentford have a good record against Man City, though, don't they? Well, the fact that they won here last season, you know, when you think that City won the treble last year, they didn't lose too many games. The fact that Thomas Frank came here and was brave and it had a, an attacking policy that worked and they left with the three points, fair play to them. I hope they do similar tonight. You know, so often teams just sit in here and try and contain City and City stay patient and then score a first goal and a, a second one before the break and the game's dead. Let's hope that Thomas Frank's a little bit bold and a little bit ambitious here tonight as well. Certainly knows that uh, his team have it in them anyway. Peter, thank you so much. Enjoy the game. Mark Langdon also joins us on the line. How are you, Mark? I'm good, thanks. Marie, yourself? Oh, yeah, good. Uh, we're hearing all about, I guess, actually, no, we're not hearing about the Ireland manager because we still don't know. <laughs> we're hearing about the process <laughs> of the Ireland manager and what's happening or what's not happening. So we've been uh, going through that today. But look, we're going to get on to the Champions League and a little bit about this Man City Brentford game. But do you have any idea what's happening with the Ireland manager, Mark? All your connections? Um, I, I don't. I, <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, I was, I was, you know, pretty confident and was, was, you know, uh, that Chris Coleman was going to be the manager up until <laughs> I was it yesterday. Um, so, um, no, no, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I was in the dark as as everyone else. Okay. Well, we'll all just keep on waiting anyway and hope that we're getting a little bit closer. Um, before we get on to the Champions League, Man City Brentford tonight. Uh, are Man City stumbling a bit? Do you think, or was it just a blip against Chelsea? I, I think it was a blip. I mean, they created enough chances after the break to win the game. You know, Haaland is not going to continually sort of pass up those opportunities. I don't think he has returned in quite peak form just yet. Um, and clearly Guardiola, by resting De Bruyne, isn't comfortable in him playing sort of 90 minutes back-to-back, uh, you know, two or three times in a row yet. So I still think that they're, um, you know, finding their, their their rhythm um and and they are getting there uh, but they're probably just not at the peak of their absolute powers just yet um there, there's still enough time though for them to sort of make their mark in all of the competitions and you know they'll expect to beat uh brentford even if brentford are are brave and they're good on the counter attack i think um you know there should be enough in that city team to win pretty comfortably yeah, I think it's, uh, I'm with you, it was just a blip. They'll probably win every single game now for the rest of the season. <laughs> uh, before we get on to tonight's game, Mbappe, 
it's agreed, is it, Real Madrid? Is he is he on the way? Yeah, he is. He's off to Real Madrid. Um, you know, and barring absolute, uh, yeah, another U-turn. I suppose you can never rule it out um, in in football. But he, 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 yeah, I mean, it's it's all done. Um, uh, it's just a case really they don't want to announce it officially because there's still that potential for Real Madrid to play uh, PSG in the Champions League, and that just might make things you know awkward for for everybody involved but um you know i i think it's been a long-term dream and ambition from Mbappe to play at real madrid but i have plenty of time to talk about where he fits in because mm-hmm. you know his best position is the left sort of wing and uh they've got vinicius in, in that position so something we'll have to give there i'm sure ancelotti will find a way um to get the two brilliant players um playing together but um, yeah, they, they, it might not be completely smooth sailing on, on, on that part. I wonder what number jersey he's going to wear because whatever it is, they'll be selling a lot of them. They they will, yeah. And I think the image rights was one of those um, sort of things that was just uh, keeping things from, from being signed maybe even uh, or, or agreed sort of earlier because Mbappe is a you know, world superstar and you know will want uh, his fair share of, of, of those jersey sales. There's no doubt about that. I, I was sort of listening to Guillaume Balaguer saying um, that it sounds like they've got a similar deal to um, David Beckham um, when he was uh, uh, Real Madrid in terms of those image rights. So uh, they're clearly expecting um, you know a, a lot of people to buy those Mbappe shirts and you can see them <laughs> on just the kids everywhere all around Europe. Anthony Fine, would you wear a Mbappe Real Madrid jersey? No, oh, I think I'd have to. I couldn't resist them, Marie. <laughs> Riding around the back garden. You'd be some addition, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's made from them, isn't he? Yeah. He's a, a modern Galactico. Tonight, Mark, there are two games PSV against Dortmund and Inter against Atletico Madrid. Which for you is the more exciting one? I think it probably is Inter against Atletico Madrid and I suppose it exciting maybe in inverted commas because it, it might not be a game full of goals but obviously you know two really big names in European football Inter flying uh, domestically they've been outstanding reached the final last season um, you know you've got Lautaro Martinez and um, Marcus Churam up front scoring goals it'll be more difficult to break down an Atletico team I've just seen the Atletico team um, that, that, that's dropped in there and uh, Diego Simeone won't be surprised has been very defensive back five free in midfield and then Marcus Llorente who is a midfielder himself used to play in defence looks like he is playing up front alongside Griezmann so it's it could be like a 5-5-0 I, I think at times they're, they're going to San Siro to shut up shop but um, you know, Inter have been able to break teams down um, this season because of the quality of their forwards. So, I mean, that is the more interesting game. Dortmund PSV, whoever wins that one, you wouldn't expect to go any any further. Inter, if they win, might fancy their chances of you know a repeat visit to the final. Okay, well, that uh, Inter-Atletico game is live on RT2 television this evening. Mark Langdon of the Racing Post, thank you as always for those insights. Anthony Pine, thank you as well for coming in to studio and bringing us up to speed on that Football Pathways plan and the latest with the Republic of Ireland men's manager. That's it from us this evening. I'll be back tomorrow uh, reflecting on tonight's Champions League action and looking ahead to tomorrow's games as well as talking women's Gaelic games. RTE 2FM